A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought. This is the podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. You pick and choose what you consume, what you listen to and apply it in a way that works for you because we are all unique. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and of course the evidence-based supplements company Retrition Plus. In each of these episodes, we have incredible guests who are at the forefront of their fields, who will be giving us the trusted advice, that's what we all need, and answering your burning questions, which, let's be honest, in nutrition, the questions seem to be never-ending these days. Now, this series combines some of the many highlights over the years, and I hope will continue to support your nutrition and well-being. Now, we all have moments where we find ourselves in the middle of things that we'd rather not be doing, yet we must persevere and the rewards will come in leaps and bounds. That's always the way. And this week's Food for Thought gives you some of the easiest tips and tricks to crank up your motivation, solve your stresses and alleviate your happiness. Oh, doesn't that sound amazing? (laughs) So get it done and feel accomplished. So my first conversation is with the incredible Robert West, and he's a professor of health and psychology. We focus on changing mindsets, you know, how to get motivated in the morning, the importance of failure even. It's so important that we fail sometimes so we can overcome it and learn from it and start anew. So without further ado, enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're you're very bu- busy in terms of everything you're doing in your life at the moment, research, and you've got your book. I think many of our listeners will want to start with the main kind of question, how on earth can we all jump out of bed in the morning, feel motivated and inspired for the day ahead? (laughs) (laughs) Not a difficult question at all. Not at all. Um, Well, the thing to remember is that, um, I don't know, one way of thinking about it is that every day... (laughs) It's going to sound really trite, but, you know, the the standard thing is every day is a new day, right? It's new opportunities, new challenges and so on. Um, But actually, another way of putting it is like every day is like another roll of the dice Mm. because there's a huge amount of luck involved in our lives. And one of the things that uh, those of us who are more optimistic and uh, sort of feel quite good about ourselves, rather smugly saying that, um, uh, sort of feel is that when good things happen, happened to us uh, we think well that must be because what i did you know mm. i'm such a great guy and uh, uh, and so i deserve it uh, and people who um struggle and there are people who struggle really seriously with mental health problems and depressions so on 
with the very same events that happen, they feel, this is my fault, this is me, I'm like this, and it'll always be like this. And the reality, of course, is that, you know, life throws us these challenges and, and opportunities. And so the way to address it each morning, if you can, to the extent that you can, is to say, well, look, it's another roll of the dice. Let's see what happens. What, what's gone is gone. What's been is been. Uh, what have we got coming up? And let's see how we can tackle it. That's a very, very good way of looking at it and changing your mindset around it. I like the role of the dice analogy there. And you've also mentioned before that there are two types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. Could you delve into these for us? Yes, I think a lot of people will have heard the terms intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and they'll think, well, intrinsic motivation is that part of what you want or need that is intimately tied with what you're doing. So if I say I'm intrinsically motivated to go to work in the mornings, it means I enjoy it, I get fulfilment out of it, it's something that I want to do in and of itself. Um, and extrinsic motivation, uh, by contrast, is something you do for some external reason, like you get paid, <laughs> for example. <laughs> it's a good motivator. <laughs> it is quite a good motivator, as it turns out. Now, um, the thing is that uh, although we do use that distinction quite a lot, it gets very blurred. I mean, if you think about just going to work, for example, um, if you were only to go to work purely because of the money, you, some people do, because some people's jobs are just not satisfying or rewarding, uh, or the social environment in which they operate is not uh, pleasant. And so they're really just doing it for the money. But in most cases, there's something that is about the job, about the fulfillment, about the feeling that you're doing something useful, being useful to society, to your friends and so on, um, that is important. So, so a lot of the things that we do are actually a mixture of extrinsic and intrinsic. Is there one that's better than the other then? Or do we just need to maximise the potential of both? We need to maximise the potential of both and recognise uh, when you need to foreground one versus the other. And, and these are the sort of situations. With intrinsic motivation, then it is self-policing. In a sense, you don't need to be sitting there over someone with a stick to make sure they do it or making sure that they actually did it if you're going to pay them for something. And so in a way, that's what you're ultimately seeking. But sometimes, as we were talking about in the musician example, you need to provide extrinsic motivation in order to get there. Uh, with the extrinsic motivation, you have to recognize that it will be subject, it will be subject to gaming. Uh, that is to say that uh, if the person is doing it purely for the reward or to avoid the punishment, then they will do what's necessary to get the reward or punishment and not necessarily the thing that you want them to do. Would you also add that failure is equally an important motivation to turn something into a success? I think it is if it's treated the right way. Going back to smoking as an example, mm. um, the, the when people try to stop smoking and let's say a person lasts a week or two weeks uh, they think oh my goodness I failed they go back mm. to smoking and um, that's not right 
you didn't fail. There's no such thing as failure when you try to stop smoking. Mm. Uh, because what's happened is you've spent two weeks of your life not smoking. That's equivalent to about a day or two uh, extra happy life expectancy um, just for those two weeks, regardless of what happens after that. And so the only failure really is in the not trying. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that failure is not something that you should beat yourself up over is something that happens that we really all experience uh, and it's how you respond to it that determines what uh, uh, what happens next and uh, and how useful it can be uh, or otherwise so if you say you know you try to do something you fail oh it's because i'm a terrible person i don't know what i'm doing i'm a complete idiot oh my goodness that's obviously uh, not going to be terrifically helpful um if you say ah you know what, I, that didn't work. I wonder what else I can try. Uh, then that gives you something to go from. And, and that's the purpose of failure. Chatting now to Steve and Dave Flynn from The Happy Pair. I love our conversations. They're so full of life and they really passionately communicate how they feel about you know, community, the environment, how important that is to make positive changes and choices. You know, the daily routine that you have. I know that they like to get up and do swimming in the sea in the mornings in all weathers all year round. So anyway, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. First thing I, I, I would recommend is to try to, if you look at the blue zones, which are the kind of five areas in the planet where there's the most amount of, of um, centenarians, that's people that have lived over the age of 100, the number one factor that kind of predicates their longevity is the sense of community, that, that the healthy choice is the easy choice. So the more you can create an environment that makes it easier for you to make the healthier choice, whether it be exercise, whether it be eating. So that, that would be my first point. And, and, that was, and I think, Stephen, just to add to that is that uh, I think the social accountability piece is a piece that a lot of people kind of miss out in terms of morning routines because willpower will only get you so far and motivation will only get you so far, but social accountability will get you so much further. Like I think together, like you can go, you can go fast alone, but together you can go so much further. Like, yeah, there is all these expressions and there is great truth in them. And when I think of us with our morning routines, like they wouldn't have lasted as long as, you know, the last 10 or 15 years, unless there was a collective of, of us doing it. It definitely lifts the mood. And you said that you go to bed quite early the night before. And I know that um, broken sleep is tough as, as well. But do you have anything particular that you'd recommend to enhance sleep quality so people can wake up feeling a bit more motivated to integrate a new routine, like you said, like getting a bit more social? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah we've got like, Steve, do you want to lead off? There's a few. Okay, cool. Yeah, like generally, you know, we all have the, the fancy word. You've heard that fancy word circadian rhythm, which is just your natural biological cycles within the circadian clock, the 24-hour clock. And typically they say that the number one most important factor for consistently sleeping well is regularity, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time. And even if the weekend you do stay up late and Friday and Saturday night, try to get up at the same time and just have a nap. It just, it makes it a lot more sustainable because even I know we kind of have this inbuilt relationship with the 24 hour clock in a sense of time. So number one, regularity. Number two, try to reduce your exposure to artificial lights. Like obviously just dim the lights. If you have dimmers, if you don't have dimmers or kind of fancy lights like that, just light a candle. Because artificial lights have been proven to reduce the melatonin levels in our body, which often is associated with helping us feel tired, sleepy and a need for rest. And uh, I think I think I think a really important thing which is right up there is having a sleep routine, you know, mm. because you'll know as a young mom <clears throat> that you have a routine and 
it's very important to have a routine to get your kids to bed. But as adults, we tend not to have them. We're, we're sitting in bed, flicking through our phone, and then we brush our teeth and go to the toilet, and that's a bedtime routine, and it took us five minutes. Whereas I know with my kids, particularly when they were younger, like my bedtime routine with the kids was probably an hour, an hour and a half, where I'd just slowly wind them down, and we'd just calm down. So I think as adults, if you can spend a full hour before you go to bed and not look at screens, actually maybe read a book, have a bath, have a shower, do whatever you do, have a conversation, drink a cup of tea, whatever. Just do something to try to wind, actually wind yourself down because sitting there watching action movies in bed and then turning the light out is not the best. What is your philosophy on movement throughout the day? I find movement helps me think better. Like often, if I'm sitting at a computer and I'm kind of really focused on something, I'll often kind of give myself an hour to focus hard and what I'm trying to achieve for that hour. And then once the hour's up, I got to go walk. I got to do something, got to do some handstands for 10 minutes, but just something to kind of get the blood pumping, move my body. And then I come back a little bit more productive and a little bit more awake. Um, and movement doesn't have to be triathlons or iron men or handstands yeah. or any of this stuff. It's walking. It's anything like it could be mm. doing it, you know, doing a few stretches, like literally going for a walk out in nature has a wonderful ability to kind of help us relax. So for anyone who's listening, how you could kind of apply that is if you do have a job where you work at a desk, drink loads of water because if you are not wearing a nappy, you're going to have to get up and go to the toilet regularly, which is great. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Uh, Try to do meetings walking, like put your headphones on and do your Zoom calls or whatever you've got to do. You can surely walk for some of them and that's really a basic habit to do. Make sure and make, as we were talking about social accountability, arrange to meet friends for walking dates, for chats, for all these type of things, but really try to consciously bake it into your day because society nowadays is set up for us to be sedentary. You know, if you look at it, I think it's more than 45% of people in the UK are actually sedentary, that they get on average between five to 6,000 steps a day, but they don't meet the minimum requirement of 10,000 steps a day, which is recommended. Okay, talk to me about food a little bit. I think we have to discuss food as part of your morning routine because you guys love your food. Breakfast, is it a yay, a nay? What do you guys do? Yeah, yeah, so breakfast in terms of us ourselves, we tend to, and what we often recommend, is to try to eat as much as you can whole plant food. So no one listening, I wouldn't recommend anyone necessarily to be vegan or vegetarian or anything. But what we do espouse is to encourage people to eat more whole foods. Because mm-hmm. I could be eating a vegan or a vegetarian diet and eat nothing but Mars bars and French exactly. fries and cans of Coke. But I guess nine out of ten people, not I guess, but nine out of ten people in Ireland and the UK don't get their RDA of fibres in their mm-hmm. recommended daily intake of fibre. And fibre is so vitally important. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? 
Needing health insurance? United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Moving on to, gosh, wow, the king, the expert in this area. We've got the incredible Tal Ben-Shahar and his positive psychology and leadership talks and chats. We discussed his pillars of happiness, um, aspiration, the first steps to happiness, how to be more hopeful. I think that's a really important thing to address, especially at the moment, and the importance of relationships and exercise. So here we go. First things first, let's start and delve into what positive psychology even means because this is something that you discuss a lot yes so positive psychology is the science of happiness and um, if i had to give a simple definition for this field it's about focusing on what works so traditional psychology uh, historically has focused on on problems on issues on uh, on psychopathology on weaknesses Whereas positive psychology focuses on strength, on things that are working, and it begins with a full glass of the part and then extends to the rest. So positive psychology is not ignoring the problems. It simply says, let's start with what is working and build on that. Yes, exactly. And and what exactly are these, um, what can we build on? What are these universal pillars of happiness? What can we be aspiring for? Yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm glad you used the word aspiring because uh, my, my model of happiness <laughs> includes the acronym SPIRE. Yeah. Um, and uh, these are the, the five elements of happiness. Uh, the first one is spiritual well-being, the S of SPIRE. Spiritual well-being is about, uh, could be, of course, about religion for people, but it doesn't have to be. It can be about a sense of meaning and purpose. It can be about a sense of presence, about being mindful. Uh, spiritual well-being. Then there is physical well-being. That's about nutrition and about exercise, uh, about uh, rest and recovery, and so on. Uh, the eye of Spire is uh, about intellectual well-being. Uh, it's about asking questions. You know, for example, the um, research recently came out showing that people who are curious, who ask questions, uh, who are lifelong learners are not just more successful, they're not just happier, they actually live longer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cu- curiosity may kill the cat, but uh, mm-hmm. it helps us live longer. Uh, then there is a relational well-being, number one predictor of happiness, quality time we spend with people we care about and who care about us. Uh, and the final element of Spire is uh, emotional well-being. Mm. And that's, of course, about uh, learning to deal with painful emotions, such as sadness, such as anxiety, uh, as well as cultivating pleasurable emotions like uh, joy, gratitude, and love. The first step to happiness is allowing in unhappiness. What we need to do, first of all, is give ourselves the permission to be human, the permission to experience the full range of human emotions, whether it's sorrow and sadness, whether it's uh, anger or frustration, and not just in extreme situations such as uh, uh, subsequent to a loss. It's in the day-to-day when we experience um, 
a challenge at work, when we have a, an argument or a conflict with, uh, with, with a friend or, or a partner, we need to give ourselves the permission to be human. We need to embrace rather than reject painful emotions as a first step. The hope is important. Besides hope, or how can we become more hopeful? Well, here, here's one way to do it, um, or three ways rather. One way is to, uh, to shed a tear, to cry, because what are we doing when we're crying? We're expressing rather than suppressing emotion. Um, and um, there's research showing that when we cry, we are releasing um, oxytocin. That's the love hormone, so it makes us feel uh, all good inside. We also release opiates. These are calming drugs naturally occurring through shedding tears. Uh, so it's no coincidence that we feel so much better after a good cry, you know, even that we have the phrase, a good cry. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Two, talking about it, you know, how is it that we go into a, a session with a therapist or a counselor or a coach and we come out 50 minutes later feeling so much better just by talking about it? Because what are we doing? We're expressing rather than suppressing uh, our emotions or whatever is weighing on us. Uh, also talking to our best friend, uh, simply being with someone whom we trust, who we care about and who cares about us and uh, talking about what we feel, that's a form of giving ourselves the permission to be human. And uh, finally, writing. There's a lot of research by uh, people like Jamie, Benny, uh, Jamie Pennybaker, uh, Laura King and others on the uh, showing the value of, uh, of journaling, of writing, expressing when it comes to our emotions rather than suppressing. Absolutely. Um, journaling is something actually that we've discussed a lot on the podcast before that a lot of people have found very beneficial. And I love that you mentioned, you know, have a good cry because it's true. Once we allow these emotions to be released, um, I think it's just an understanding of what happens and knowing that we do release certain factors that can help with our mood that will help our listeners so much knowing that we do have an element of control we just have to embrace how we're feeling i guess i think relationships like you said you did touch on them of course being one of the pillars the fact that we need interaction sometimes and that's just just human human nature but would you say that's one of the biggest contributors to happiness you know uh, no i would say no, I would say that it's the biggest contributor oh, to happiness. Um, you know, uh, and, and you see it on, on so many levels in, in research. So, so let me begin with, uh, um, you know, the by now very famous Harvard study, which followed uh, Harvard graduates as well as people from the surrounding community for 75 years. So that's th this started in the 1930s. Um, so researchers and their intellectual children and grandchildren followed these, um, these individuals. And after 75 years, having collected quite literally millions and millions of data points, they looked at it all and they said, okay, so what is the number one predictor of happiness across lifespan? And the answer was definitive. It was relationships. Now, the interesting thing is that it didn't matter which relationships. For some people, it was the romantic partner of 50 years or 20 years. For others, it was their family or extended family. Then there were those for whom it was friends. Then there were those for whom it was colleagues. It actually didn't matter as long as they had supportive 
relationships in their lives. Not perfect, supportive relationships with people they cared about and who cared about them. Number one predictor of happiness. Um, so that's the first thing. But, but I'm a huge fan of, uh, of sports. Um, yes. For, for so many reasons. One, because, you know, exercising regularly has the same effect on our psychological well-being as our most powerful psychiatric medication. Brilliant. Three times a week, 30 minutes each time, works just like um, our, our, our psychiatric drugs. It works in the same way, releasing norepinephrine, serotonin, and dopamine, the feel-good chemicals in the brain. I know the research on what it does for the young, what it does for the uh, adult population, what it does for the elderly. Indispensable for a healthy life, indispensable for a happy life. Let's have a chat about mindfulness, breathing to conclude this episode today, kindness, because I think we need more of that in the world. And who better than the wonderful Dr. David Hamilton? We had the best time discussing how we can improve self-love and use it against the stress in our life, breathing techniques. He's a writer, best-selling author, and I really hope you enjoy this final conversation. More so than ever, I suppose, because we're living in a time with such increased uncertainty. I mean, I consider myself fairly resilient and I'm really feeling it at the moment. Now, I just think this can be having such a significant impact at the moment, can't it, on our stress levels? Yeah, absolutely. Because what we often need in our lives is some sort of feeling of control. Like these are things that I can control in my life. And for many people, having a sense of control, even if it's just control over how your own mood or some of the things that you're doing in your life, those for many people are sources of comfort, like comfort blankets. These, these are almost supports that we can lean on in our lives. But, but when you have a time like this of uncertainty and we don't feel that we have the same degree of control, then that can knock a lot of people and I think I think this current situation has knocked a lot of people uh, for sex and some of it is that perception of not just loss of normality but literally loss of control of even some of the smaller things uh, in our lives. I tend to find that um, you mentioned earlier breathing. Mm. Oh, I just need to breathe now, just take a moment. <laughs> <laughs> just a lovely big breath it's yeah. something that I definitely don't do enough of and I know when I do it I kind of focus on that square box thing I try and mm. I'm not describing it right you know you go up one side and you try to make a square out of your breathing yeah. go in out in out do you have any useful tools like practicing mindfulness or meditation that you'd recommend to everybody yeah you know I, I meditate every day and the simplest way of meditating you know I, I liken it when, I, when I'm talking to people who've never meditated or who think of meditation as woo-woo, I, I use an analogy like going to the gym or, or learning, let's say you want to run a 10k uh, and what you do is you practice, you train for it. So like if I was to start training my leg muscles or my arms or something, let's say I was you know doing a particular exercise, then as I work out that muscle, two things happen. Uh, the muscle becomes firmer and then it becomes larger. And something similar happens in the brain when you not just breathe, but here's the key, when you notice 
that breathing is what you're doing. And that ultimately is a simple form of meditation. Part of the biological and genetic wiring is also the the same kind of, I guess, genetics that makes us kind by nature. You know, the, the, the gene for... The, the gene most associated with kindness is one of the oldest in the human genome. It's about 500 million years old and four and a half days. I'm joking about the four and a half days. But it, it's, <laughs> I didn't want to say. <laughs> it's, it's about 500 million years old. But it's, also the, but it's also the same gene that's involved in our need for, for connection. So what, one of the things that we can do, it, because it's the same process, it's the same, you know, situation in the body, connection and kindness, is we can focus on, even though I don't have the direct physical contact that I crave, is there some ways that I could up my kindness and compassion for people? Could I reach out? Could I look for opportunities, whether it's just picking up the phone and checking in on somebody, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Or whether it's just noticing that someone has needs in the moment or or long term and, and asking yourself, is there anything I can do to help? In some kind of ways, because it's stimulating the same systems of the body, in some ways that can kindness for others can actually relieve some of the needs we have for connection. So I think um, kindness goes a long way in positivity. It's not just our relationships with one another, but with ourselves, isn't it? Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, we, we often forget to be kind to ourselves, actually. You know, it, we, we so we, most people find it quite easy and natural to help other people. But if you if you try to turn it inwards, most of us don't even know what kindness to ourselves means. And it's, you know, in a, in a nutshell, it's really just being aware that you also have needs. Kindness to yourself doesn't mean kindness to yourself instead of others. It just means as well as, you know, not to forget about yourself, you know. So, you know, one of the things I personally do when I get, you know, overwhelmed with work volume. It's one of the, I guess, my stressors that I have to be aware of is I often get overwhelmed with just a large number of things that I'm having to simultaneously do just because of, of I guess, my, my job, my, my, my career, my, my work, if you call it that. And, and so what I do, because time seems like a major commodity for me, then I find that if someone in my family or close circle of friends needs my help or my time, I always find the time for them. So I say to myself, okay, being kind to myself, can I extend that to me? And so what I do is I go into my diary and I block a little bit of time. It might be 30 minutes, it might be an hour, it might be a whole morning or a day. And it's meeting with self. I should write it on, (laughs) meeting with self. Just like I would say, you know, meeting with you know, X, Y, or Z person. So meeting with self, and that puts it in my diary. And for me, it gives it the same gravitas as a meeting with someone else. And it's like me saying to my deeper psyche that I matter and my time for me, kindness to myself matters just as much as it it matters uh, me being kind to someone else. I love that. I guess stress has a lot of negative connotations, doesn't it? People always assume that stress is just negative. Yeah, but, but it's actually very positive. In fact, there's use stress, 
you know, we, we think of stress as, you know, distress, but the stress that we normally think of is actually distress. The other form, the positive stress, is called eustress. We often associate eustress with exercise or eustress with laughter, even because laughter is stress in the body, but it's, it's eustress of laughter but mm. exercise when it's positive is is you stress in other words it it's it's a physical stress on the body that's actually helping the body to to get stronger i mean the little when you exercise vigorously you get little micro tears in your blood vessels yes, little micro tears yeah. in in your your muscles but these get repaired stronger than they were before and that's why mm. we get physically stronger and and the cardiovascular system improves etc etc so, uh, so so exercise is great in that way. So the positive side of it is actually, you know, the positive side of exercise is that literally builds us, not just physically, but also there's a similar component in the psyche. So it builds you psychologically as well as you become better at, you know, dealing with, you know, how do I push through the pain? If I'm running, let's say I'm trying to run this evening, let's say a person's going for a run, how do I get through this pain barrier? And you bring your psychology to it and you try to figure out the next time I run, how will I get through that pain barrier? Yeah. I know that when I get to that hill, it's really tough. Can I run that hill slightly differently the next time? And and then you're bringing a positive attitude to that particular stressful part and the stress then becomes really positive. And there's a sense of exhilaration when you figure out how to get through that really difficult part. Thank you, everybody, for your contributions to this week's episode. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, you're going to love what's coming up next. So if you don't subscribe, make sure you do. It's the way that it just pops up on your phone. You get a notification and you'll be the first to hear it each Monday. It would also be amazing if you are a fan of Food for Thought that you could kindly leave us a review. These reviews do actually make a huge difference and they can help us, of course, reach more people and get the information out there to those that need it the most. If you're looking, of course, as well for more information about perhaps my latest book, Deliciously Healthy Pregnancy, uh, the Retrition Clinic for one-to-one nutrition advice and healthy recipes, then just head on over to retrition.com where everything's there in one place. We also have some fabulous evidence-based blogs that are updated weekly and you can also subscribe to our newsletter which comes out every Tuesday morning. Now, of course, Retrition Plus is now here. So for evidence-based supplements that you can actually trust, hooray, it took me long enough, but it's finally there. You can go and check out retritionplus.com. And of course, please do follow me on all social channels at Retrition and at Retrition Plus. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 